RIP Mike Leach, he really helped usher in uh, an era of being aggressive, being analytical, being you know pass heavy, and so seeing him succeed. And for a long time, the success of his teams were dismissed. And so we saw that hey, you know, people didn't think Texas Tech could beat uh, a team like you know the University of Texas, but they could. And so seeing that success gave people a sense that yeah, you know what, maybe that is going to translate to the NFL. Hey, everybody. Uh, This week, my guest is Chase Stewart. You can follow him on Twitter at FBG Chase. He is the proprietor of Football Perspective, a blog back when blogs were great, going from, I don't know, 2012 to maybe 2017, 2018, 2019, with a daily post five times a week, posting on the site while working at the same time before that doing work on pro football references blog developing helping develop things like um approximate value and other sorts of concepts adjusted net yards per attempt that came out there from that site and were the foundation of a lot of football analytics and then even before that starting off in the fantasy football world and doing some work for football guys he's going to talk about his history through that in this interview here he's going to talk about what we're getting right and wrong about football analytics out there in the social space some teams that he's higher on and lower on and i hope you appreciate all that that you're listening to if you are not subscribed to this podcast go ahead and subscribe if you are not subscribed to my um Substack newsletter, uh, which I launched about a week and a half ago. We were approaching, I don't know, approaching a thousand subscribers on there after only being about a week in. We're approaching somewhere in the neighborhood of 220,000, I should say, uh, visits to the site so far. I have a new post out on Joe Burrow today, and I'm posting on a daily basis there along with a couple of podcasts a week. It's unexpected points, all one word, dot substack.com. That's unexpected points substack.com your support there means everything to me and go ahead and rate and review this pod if you enjoy what you're about to hear but for now here is chase stewart all right chase thanks for joining me uh you've been one of the guys that i've wanted to get onto this podcast for a while i say jokingly i think of you as being an og in this space someone who was posting uh incessantly for years and years and years starting And maybe I see back to 2012, maybe even longer. So I guess the question I have to ask you is like, why? What's the what's what's your origin story here is being a guy on the Internet posting about football stats long before it became something that was even slightly cool. I don't know if it even is slightly cool now, but but definitely way way before us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was probably never cool when, when we were doing it. And I, I started a fantasy football writer. So I was 1989, 2000, 2001. I really started as a fantasy football writer, wrote for footballguys.com. And I continued doing that for 20 years. And, you know, throughout that, I ended up working, you know, as a writer, as a freelance writer. Uh, I, you know, shifted a little bit from fantasy football to general football and then football statistics and football analytics. And so I started doing that more maybe 2005, 2006. So definitely before 2012, I, you know, Doug Drennan, who was with 
both football guys and pro football reference. So he started the, uh, I the, the I got a t-shirt on right here. You got the, watching shirt. the video pro football reference. Yes. Yeah. So he started the PFR blog, you know, maybe 2005, maybe even earlier. Uh, and I started writing with him there. And then we just did that for a long time. Would write at other places and just over, you know, over time as a writer, you would get opportunities to write. And, you know, it, it was a, a thing people did was write about football on the internet. Yeah, yeah, things thing people are still doing. And I, I was kind of thinking of your, I mean, football perspective, as I mentioned, that's a little bit later after some of the stuff for PFR and before that. I had almost a, the same trajectory, you know, years later as far as fantasy football, which is obviously very numbers-based, very like a feedback loop. You kind of, you have results on a weekly basis that you're trying to to maximize in a clear and, you know, somewhat rational way to, to try to, to try to get that that information and that translates over to football analytics a bit more but at that point in time there was less of the social media so what i have noticed is now is we have the ability at least a little bit maybe to influence journalists or others who will then maybe even ask things like when pete carroll is being asked about letting russ cook a number of of years ago and that stuff like that was going on how did you feel as far as the response was concerned back when you were making these arguments where maybe there wasn't that that vehicle for getting the opinion out there into the larger world in the same sort of way. Yeah, there really wasn't. You're right. I think for the most part, a lot of it was you know, either ignored or, you know, just not really dealt with in a serious manner. And and I'm sure there are facets of, of the community that still does that. But I, I agree over the last five, 10, 15 years, you know, the sort of respect air quotes for football analytics has increased and that's led to, you know, more questions about it and it's entered the mainstream, which I think is all positive. It really wasn't about, you know, the reaching the masses when we were doing it. It was we we like football. We we found thinking about football interesting, and I, I do think it was a a way for people who like talking and thinking about both football history and football stats and, you know, how you should be thinking about, you know, our coaches doing the right thing, our owners doing the right thing. What you know, those are the debates people always had, but you know, at least the sort of angle that a few of us were taking was more based on evidence and, and history. And so I think for us uh, and people like Aaron Schatz, Brian Burke, and Doug Drennan, when we were writing about it, it was, you know, much more I think than now uh, an emphasis on history because the, the data set was, you know, when now people look at numbers and they're looking at what's happening this year or the last two years, but back then it was, let's look at history and see, you hear people say you need to run to win. Let's look at the historical results and see if that's true. Those sort of things. So it was a lot of testing, you know, the sort of hypotheses and things that people took for granted in the football community. Yeah. Now, now, if we're if you're going to give him one of those, you know, classic like interview questions, let's say back in the mid to the mid aughts about where you were expecting. Now we're in, you know, twenty. 2022 here, a little bit older, we're all a little bit older, a little bit uh, muscles and, and joints a little bit creakier. But what about the state of football generally? Are you, would you have been surprised if you could have had that crystal ball to look forward as to what it would have been? Or did you expect it would take this sort of trajectory going forward? Because I'm trying to think about where maybe baseball was at that point in time, because I don't think basketball had gone that far by that point in time did you have any window into what would end up being in the nfl and the fact that this would become such a big part of the league or discussion part of the league yeah good question that you know you're right baseball was was further on but even still there were lots of people right who did have questions about whether or not the sort of money ball which was the hot phase at the time you know was that right was it wrong it obviously ended up taking over major league baseball 
but with football, you know, the, the things that you heard were, well, football is a baseball. That was kind of the constant refrain. You can't, you can't treat football the way you treat baseball. It's not still hear that one. one. Still heard that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not one-on-one -on -one interactions. You've got a, an oblong ball that's bouncing and it's just a different sport. And, and that's true. And people kind of knew that it felt dismissive and it probably was dismissive at the time. But, you know, we also, the, the people that were sort of in my community, like, again, Doug Drennan, Jason List, they were huge college football fans. And I was becoming a bigger college football fan at that time. And I think you could see in college football an evolution. And so kind of getting an insight into that happening is always a sign that's going to happen at the pro level. And so as college football teams, you know, RIP Mike Leach, he really helped usher in uh, an era of being aggressive being analytical, being, you know, pass heavy. And so seeing him succeed and for a long time, the success of his teams were dismissed. You know, 2008 was a, I think that was the year Tech, Tech had that great season. We were, you know, that was sort of a, the heart of when we were writing quite a lot. And so we saw that, hey, you know, people didn't think Texas Tech could beat uh, a team like, you know, the University of Texas, but they could. And so seeing that success gave people a sense that, yeah, you know what, maybe that is going to translate to the NFL. And even, you know, things like, the shotgun, right, was still not the most common, you know, most teams didn't wind up in the shotgun in 2008. And so, but you could see this is probably the direction things are headed. So well, is that analytics? You know, depends who you ask, I guess. But certainly parts of it you, you would get a sense would be there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always this uh, conflict between saying doing X more often has been more efficient so then the question is will it be more efficient if you up the amount of it in the future and that's kind of like the big debate with everything the the critiques that may say oh you know numbers guys want us to pass the ball 100 percent of the time well if we do that then it won't work and, and, and things like that um so a lot of these debates are still are still happening is there anything that you're surprised by at this point that you see that is still not been accepted at least in a, in a larger basis whether it is by by coaching or by media or other people within the nfl you know i think you've seen more of a you know diversity among teams as to how they approach things and so fourth down decisions right that there's still teams that don't really approach it the way you think you should but a lot of teams have it so i kind of think that one's over the hump and but yeah, we're certainly probably not the where you would think we might be in five or ten years, and that seems to become more analytical. You could say the same thing about trading for draft pick, right? I mean that that's still an area where teams are mostly overvaluing early picks, despite the evidence that they shouldn't be. I think the even you know there's just so many changes over time. When I look at running quarterbacks. That's an area where you know maybe not an analytical decision, but that's was not part of the common way teams viewed quarterbacks, right? Somebody like Josh Allen, the value he adds on his legs is now much more appreciated and known than it would have been, you know, thought about in a franchise quarterback 15 years ago. So there are always changes driven by personnel as well. But I, I do think people are always being more open to, you know, taking a, a broader view, again, having a, a more diverse way to think about football. One of the, the kind of key things is 15 years ago, I feel like all the teams were playing the same game and you don't necessarily see that today. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, do you think talent was more important at that point in time than it is now? Yeah, probably or coaching or both uh, because you're right. I mean, if everyone's playing the same game that the most talented team should win, but it, it's not, 
uh, you know, right now are the most talented teams winning. I don't know. I mean, one thing I think we, I think about a lot is the value of quarterbacks and, you know, has the value of a quarterback gotten more significant or less significant over time? I think there's good arguments both ways. And I think there's, there's never, there's not always a clear answer on some of those things. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask, I was going to follow up specifically with that because I'm trying to think of when it was. I don't know if it was a year ago, two years ago, you were posting about, I don't think it was necessarily a shift of the entire league going up in quarterback, but maybe it was on the bottom end more so. Guys that would be your typical replacement level players, uh, they're coming in midseason, they're undrafted coming into the NFL. They have maybe through... I guess theoretically you could say through having so many more reps in college and, and being able to, to be up to snuff a little bit earlier, they're able to come in and approximate a type of performance that may not be average, but is closer to average than it's been in the past. So then your, you know, your level over replacement would shrink there. Now what that means about quarterback play or not, I guess it's like, again, that that's the, the second order thing that we're trying to figure out. Do you still think that's the case? Cause we've had a little bit of a, decline this year in quarterback play where I thought this was going to be one of the stronger years we were going to see in quarterback play after last year, but it hasn't ended up being the case. Yeah. And and that was interesting because I'm not sure, you know, part of it was, I think a decline of, you know, people retiring and maybe the younger class not being great, but also the quarterbacks who stayed around have also declined. So it could just be defenses have, you know, adjusted coaches have adjusted but, you know, on the quarterback, thing, I mean, I think a lot about field goal kickers, which, you know, maybe makes me a, a different type of person. But, you know, ben, you, but, I don't know if you know Benjamin Morris from did some writing over at 538, other things. He was he was all about the, the kickers. There's a special type for kickers to be able to appreciate that that nuance in the game. There is. And, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time at one point trying to grade all the kickers in NFL history. And I did that. And I felt and I still feel good about those results, which had Nick Lowry as the best field goal kicker of all time. Is the, the Hall of Fame is not very good at these kicker discussions, is it? It, it? Well, it's not. But but where I'm going with that is that one of the reasons that I think it may be hard for somebody like Justin Tucker to be as valuable as Nick Lowry, and maybe he is. I haven't rerun the numbers. I, I wrote this maybe seven or eight years ago. Is The average kicker is so much better than it was during Nick Lowry's time. I mean, you could think, think of the same thing like interception rate. You can't do that much better than league average in interception rate. You used to. When the interception rate was 6%, you could be a lot better than league average. You could be at 2%. If the average is 2.1%, you know, how much better at interception avoidance can you really be? And the same thing with field goal kickers. If field goal kickers are all really good, how valuable is Justin Tucker? And that, you know, where I'm going with this is the same logic applies to quarterbacks. And so as passing gets easier, as the rules are changed to make passing easier, as all quarterbacks are getting better and as the variance in quarterback is decreasing and the range from the best to worst is getting smaller, I think there's a strong argument that the value of the best quarterback is a lot, you know, less than it used to be because 40 years ago, the top quarterback was so much better than the average quarterback. Now he isn't. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess you're right. Like if you're thinking about interceptions, for instance, if you have half the interception rate of the league average, it, it's, it still could be half, right? You could still be cutting in half, but then you're looking at the raw numbers for how many fewer interceptions you're going to throw. It's going to be so many. It, it, the delta is going to be so much lower there. And I guess maybe in a way, even with kickers, like maybe Justin Tucker could be that much more valuable. But in order to do that, he'd have to be taking all of these long kicks, which is probably not necessarily an optimal way to play. I could see some 
analogy to quarterbacks there in a way where if you get your interception rate too low, uh, all of things that have been written about Aaron Rodgers, perhaps, and some others that you also are maybe just not being able to even play optimally. And then you lose the advantage on that end also. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's a, a, you know, a good, I remember Doug Drinan wrote an article. It was about Adrian Peterson and fumbling, but the mm-hmm. same, same idea. And his, his argument was, you know, people who always get to the airport too early, someone who's never missed a flight, maybe isn't doing it right. If you miss zero flights in your life, you know, maybe your flight avoidance is a little too conservative and you're wasting too much time of your life at airports. And you should aim to, you know, the optimal number of missed flights in life is not zero. Same thing with interceptions. Uh, the, you know, the optimal interception rate is definitely not zero. It may not be 1%. So I do agree that you need to think about what is the best way to play and, and interceptions is a part of it. But if you're sacrificing enough positive EPA in other areas, then you're really doing a net disservice to the team. Yeah, I mean, I'll disagree a little bit on the flight thing. My anxiety levels are way, <laughs> way too high if I come close to missing. Maybe I need like some meditation also to realize it's like a, it's like a, a little bit. You, you, you've clearly spent a lot of your life in airports. I have, I have, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind quite honestly, you know, that, a little that food, may be a coping a mechanism, that answer. And, and also if, once, if you have kids, airport time is like a mini vacation. Anything outside of being at home with your kids is like a mini vacation. So that's also part of it when it comes to work trips or other things. Trust me, I'm leaving early. I got that Uber booked early to get the to get out of the house. Um, what do you think about other positions? We talk about kicker. We talk about quarterback. I guess it would make some sense when you talk about the maturation of the NFL generally that there might be a more narrow range of talent across the board. It's true. Uh, and I think that is a, it's an interesting thing to think about. What does that mean, right? So if there is that, you know, sort of narrowing of the talent level, then you, you probably would think there should be, right? I mean, that's kind of no reason not to think so. When I think about the arc of history, right, in the 1950s, you weren't having everybody play football. And in the 1970s, people were, you know, not necessarily the money wasn't there to make everybody decide, I want to be an NFL player. Now, you know, the, the universe of people who are interested in trying to play pro football is pretty large that you would kind of think you're getting almost all the top talent. And also all the specialization and the, 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 the resources colleges are devoting to it that fewer players are probably not going to be flipping through the cracks. And maybe that means, you know, five or six really good players, you know, wouldn't have made it 20 years ago and they do now. And does that mean the talent level is compressed? Probably. Uh, and I, I guess I have no reason not to think it's pretty much uniform across the positions. So, yeah, with a sort of more compressed talent you know, across rosters. I mean, I think that still presents interesting questions, right? For GMs, maybe one of the answers is depth is more important than anything. Uh, maybe the answer is depth is less important than anything. Uh, I think I think you have to, you know, think through it, but having the, you know, be, being thoughtful about what it means when, you know, talent's compressed is something that uh, I think a GM has to at least think about when they're deciding how they want to evaluate their roster composition. Okay, let me let me transition. Ask you some questions about your 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 blogging work. You know, blogging has gone from maybe looked down upon when it comes to a certain like journalistic set to now everyone is leaving the you know the evil fake news institutions and moving to 
their own you know, sub stacks like myself. Hopefully check it out, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And, and writing on these other sorts of things here. What do you think about when, when you're thinking about posting and you were posting on a daily basis? Now, I'm starting to hoping to post on a daily basis. And even today, I was almost fried just trying to get this thing done. And I'm like a week into this. So when you're posting on a daily basis, what are you thinking about in terms of how in-depth do you want it to be? Is it something that pops into your mind? Do you have a schedule you're thinking about in advance? Like how to engage the audience versus how to educate the audience, all those different things. What are you thinking about? Or was it just what happened to interest you at that particular moment? Well, a lot of it's what interested me and I wasn't you know, doing it for anybody else but me. But you, know, you do want to have it be appealing to people. You do want people to go there. I mean, the reason I decided to write every day was I thought that was the only way to get people to come, you know, come back. If you know there's going to be a new article every day, and I did that for a very, very long time, uh, it would convince people to come in. And, you know, I, I, there are certain people, and I'm probably one of them as well, who do better when you just are going to do something every day than moderation. And so it would be easier for me to post every day than three days a week. Uh, if I'm posting three days a week, I may just flip to one or zero. So, right. it, you know, having that consistency was helped the structure for me. And it, it's, you know, sometimes I would have a, you know, be able to think through it and say, I want to really, you know, map out what I want to do this week. And maybe I turn it into a three, four part article. Other times it's, here's, you know, a quick post when I wake up that morning, here's what I'm thinking about. So uh, you have to be flexible if you're going to be doing that much writing. But it, and I think if you don't do it for yourself, if you're not doing it for what interests you, you're unlikely to continue it for very long. Yeah. Now, how do you think looking back, if you if you have an idea, I, I think what you've written all stands up pretty well. I mean, I think one of the benefits of having, you know, a numbers based analysis is that it's a little bit less opaque in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess nowadays, like EPA and other stuff is a little bit fuzzy as far as how that's calculated. But generally, you're presenting information. You can figure out in some sort of way how it's calculated, how you interpret that information can be can be very different. Um, so how do you think about how you were looking at things then? Is there any sort of like macro change you would have on how you're reviewing things? Or do you think like I do that it stands up pretty well? You know, I have not gone back and reread it. I'd probably be scared too. Cause I also, I did make a lot of predictions, right? I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, cold, hard numbers. And so when you make predictions, you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. I've probably changed the way I think about things a little bit, but uh, you know, in general, you're right. It, it is a, you know, either analytical or, you know, historical based, you know, view, but it doesn't mean things don't change, right? I mean, I, I probably wrote at some point that Tom Brady was going to trail off soon. And so that was, I guess that's a prediction that would have been wrong. Uh, you would be not probably like them. four or five different times, uh, maybe starting. 10 times, you know, right? So, I mean, if you start writing in 2001, so, you know, there are people who, who change the game, people who change the sort of rules of, of how you make, you know, your analytics and, and your evidence. But I at least always try to be pretty, you know, empirical and, and hopefully that would, you know, have things hold up over time. Okay. Here's a guy I could think of. I'm just thinking back. I'm in my mental uh, memory bank, which is getting fuzzier by the year. I remember, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, cause I could be misremembering this. I remember you having some lighthearted fun at the expense of, I'm trying to think of who it was, but it was someone who was a very much a Ryan Tannehill backer. Remember Tannehill in Miami? Yep. Oh, yeah. uh, some, breakout some, season every year. Yeah, break, exactly. He was yeah. the breakout player at the age of like 20, 28 or something like that. He was still, you know, a breakout player as, as an older player coming out, you know, transition from wide receiver. Everybody knows that sort of thing. But now 
he moves to the to the Titans and very different style of play. When he was playing before, he played in these systems with, with Sherman and others where they were just chucking the ball over the yard. Dan Campbell got in the mix for a little bit, you know, pumped, got the running going. That failed. Uh, went back to chucking it all over the place. And then now he transitions into this Tennessee offense. And some of those skills that he had that maybe film watchers deciphered, like his ability to, you know, his accuracy, his ability to deliver the ball. Now in a system that doesn't have him do a lot maybe of other stuff when it comes to quick decision-making, things like that. Now he's starting to thrive in that way. Um, that's an example where I could see building too strong of a conclusion of who Ryan Tannehill could ever be versus based upon the numbers being not wrong, but it's possible to overstate yourself at, at that point in time. But what do you think about a situation like Tannehill? And that would be the case for a lot of guys. We're always talking, we're talking about Tua now. We're talking about Jared Goff versus other people. Like who, who can these people guys be in different situations, not just the numbers that they have currently? Yeah, that's a very tricky question. Uh, I, I do think so with Tannehill specifically, right. That he got a lot of credit for things like, you know, TD and INT ratio or, you know, completion percentage where and you compare him to you know the the pro ten he'll be like oh compared to joe montana you know he's looking great and so sort of without error adjustments and without recognizing all the sacks he took i think he got very overrated and his age as a young quarterback and and every every quarterback is better as a rookie than peyton manning if you just go and throw those throw those stats i I think there was a lot of sort of bad arguments about why ryan tannehill was either going to be good or about to break out and i did like criticizing them I do think it's tricky. The you know the, the error you're talking about is an error of being you know too quick to judge a player, and I think we're much more likely to make the other error than that error. So uh, you're right that Tannehill was probably a good example of somebody that maybe people were too quick to write off, and that he could succeed in another system. And and you know same thing about Jared Goff. I feel like he's had four or five different careers at this point. I, I don't know what to think of Jared Goff. I mean that. But, you, you know, more likely than not are people to, to go the other way and say, oh, we don't know how good this player is or not. I think people give a lot of excuses for highly drafted players for a long time. That's a more common mistake. And so if you have to pick one area to go to, I, I, and again, this is speaking generally, I know there are, there are, I'm sure, many people out there who write off people too quickly. But on average, I think the, the more common error is still writing, taking too long to write off a player. Now... Are you saying that um, because as a well-known Jets fan, um, you would have been better to have just re- written off almost every single quarterback who's been drafted <laughs> since, since Joe Namath? Well, maybe not. Uh, there's a few. There's a few that have been in there uh, who have had a little bit of a run. Vinny, Vinny had a little bit of a run there. Uh, why am I forgetting the the noodle arm? Chad Pennington. Oh, Chad Pennington man. had a little bit of run there. Sorry. Sorry, Chad. I didn't mean the noodle arm thing, but um, – he, he was he was he, he had a little bit of run there, but it's been dark there. So I guess this would also flip into like an argument for or against Sam Darnold. And now you're having it again with Zach Wilson right now. So you would more lean on the side that there's more risk in saying, let's continue to play this thing out than there is in, in making a move. I think so. I mean, even, my, you know, my, my brother's a big Jets fan as well. We were uh, always going back and forth on Twitter. I mean, he, he was a huge Sam Darnold fan for a long time. He was a huge Mark Sanchez fan for a long time, uh, and I was always ready to. He likes to figure. enjoy himself every now and again, unlike he, unlike you know, us. Yeah, I guess he's the optimist, but you know, he we, we now have the same discussions about Zach Wilson. You know, I do think, but but he said, you know, do you think he's going to work out? And I said, no. And, and I said, but you know, it, 
like you could have asked me the other day you drafted him, right? So I think let's start with that. Do you think it's going to work out when you draft him? No. You know, on average, right, the second quarterback drafted is probably not going to work out. And so I think people forget that sometimes, right? I mean, it's not, you know, he was going to be a franchise QB and now we're knocking him off. The, the sort of your expectation should be the second quarterback taken in a draft is probably not going to be a hit. Maybe it's a 20% chance. Maybe it's 30 if you're being generous. And so now you add in the evidence that we've seen, and it's gone a lot lower than that. And so, no, I wouldn't expect Zach Wilson to work out. I'd say, you know, there's a 5 or 10% chance, and who knows what even working out means anymore. But, you know, could people say Geno Smith has worked out now? You know, I don't know. But is Zach Wilson going to be a guy who will be a franchise quarterback in the NFL for multiple years? No, I don't think that is a reasonable expectation at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Is that like has has this quarterback worked out or not? I mean, I can think of someone. Um, I mean, Jared Goff. Let's say for the Rams, like, did that work out? I mean, they went to a Super Bowl. He uh, led the NFL, I believe, in adjusted net yards per attempt in his third season, and was pretty much up there after that before trailing off. You know, did Baker Mayfield work out for for the Browns? I mean, he was something for a while before ended up leaving, but. A lot of the quarterback discussion now, maybe this has always been the case. So I'm just, you know, too recency biased by everything. But I feel like the conversation now is we have this this cohort of guys who probably combine athleticism and arm talent, whatever you define that is, in a way that we haven't necessarily seen before. If it's Mahomes, it's Allen, it's uh, Herbert, it's maybe Joe Burrow, it's maybe Lamar Jackson to a degree and some others. And it's almost like there's a line that's been divided down where a lot of people say you have these guys or you don't have these guys. And if you don't have these guys, then everyone else is just meh. You know, let's let's figure out how to get one of these guys. What do you think about that evolution in the, in the discussion? Am I am I misstating it? And no, I, guess... I mean, I, I think you're right. And I've, I've heard you say that before. I mean, look at Jalen yeah. Hurts. Is he right? You know, he's he's probably not in that grouping. Uh, but if you if you squint enough, I mean, we've had. I guess I would disagree that it's a new phenomenon. I remember talking a long time ago with Doug Drennan about, you know, what the, how many Super Bowls have been won by franchise quarterbacks. And part of the problem is, you know, by the, after a quarterback wins the Super Bowl, he's now a franchise quarterback. Right. And so, you know, right. So like when Joe Flacco it, became elite after, after yeah, he well, won, after, right, after he won the Super Bowl. So you can win a Super Bowl if you've got a franchise quarterback. So what does it really mean? And, you know, Brad Johnson won the Super Bowl. People now whitewash the uh, Tom Brady memory, but he was not a franchise quarterback when he won in 2001. And so, you know, Eli Manning, is he a franchise quarterback? I, you know, it's, uh, that's a tricky question. But I think without the Super Bowls, he's clearly not somebody that you would think of as a, you know, in any upper echelon. I mean, he played for a long time, was, you know, solid. But if you ignore the Super Bowls, you know, so do you need to have that top, top quarterback to win? No. Does it help? Sure. So, I, you know, I think the analysis is, you know, if the real question is an organizational one, do you move on from a quarterback who's not at a certain level? You know, maybe Carr is a good example. Or I know you like Garoppolo, it's maybe a decent example too. You know, those guys, you can win with them if you surround them with the right talent and they get hot, but you'd rather have Mahomes. But what does that give you? You can't, you can't get Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. But then the, I guess the money probably comes into it, too. I think that's another factor when you see the contracts, because the the uh, calibration of contract to this talent is is pretty poor. Right. We're looking at Mahomes now with this 10 year deal and we'll probably have, 
you know, good backups making the same amount of money that he's making by the time we get to the end. And of, the, and the yeah. rookie salaries are so depressed that it yes. does make an, it. It does. You're right. And so I think that that decreases the value of a of a car or even you know, certainly a Tannehill, I'd say, is below a car. So maybe you don't want to pay those guys $30 million. I, I think you're probably right. If you can, you know, get uh, Mike White or, you know, Purdy in there and getting, you know, pretty good production for nothing, maybe you can find a better use of $30 million as salary cap. Now, when you're looking at some of these discussions, and I apologize if I've been a part of any of these discussions on social media or if, because you've done a good job, I would say, not getting into the muck um, not having to put the hazmat suit on and get into some of this stuff on here. Is there anything that annoys you from what the the self-appointed uh, stats guys are saying out there that you think is either wrong or being presented in a in, in a poor way? It could, could be a better way. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a little bit of that. I think there's an abrasive element to it. And, and some of that is, you know, youth and desire to be heard. And I can, can recognize that in myself at a at an earlier age, and so I think people want to you know shout from the rooftops and grow their base, and there can be abrasive, and that's not welcoming in any way, right? So I think probably the analytics community is not the most welcoming. Maybe that it's understandable, right? I mean they uh, they got rejected for a long time, but I, I do think there there's probably a tonal argument that's to be made. I, I also think as somebody who does you know, believe in the importance of football history. I think the analyst community tends to not have much of a historical view. And and I think that's both just generally bad. And also, you know, it limits the sample size. It's probably not doing great with their analysis. You know, if all you're looking at the last seven or eight years of the NFL, you're probably missing some things. And you're, you're definitely missing, uh, you know, the way the league has evolved, which is important. I'd also say the people are... You know, there's a great, you know, you've got to be really smart, I think, but I'm, I can't do this. I'm assuming those people are smart. Maybe they aren't. You've be really smart to be really, you know, tech savvy and figuring out how to run all these models and, and to play with all these numbers and generate these, you know, great models and graphs and, and data that people do. And they are very smart. And, that's, and it's, you know, I think it's a great way to advance the game. But <clears throat> I think people do think a little bit less than they used to. You know, Adam Harst is a, a great follow, and he is always talking about, you know, who cares what the answer is? What do you think the answer will be when you run the numbers? And so, you know, because you can get the answer so quickly by running the numbers, I think you sometimes miss that stage. If 15 years ago, you'd have a question, you'd want to run the numbers. It takes you a little bit of time to get the answer. You'd think, what is the answer? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Well, you know, why would it be A? Why would it be B? Let me think through the options, you know, kind of use the, the thought process, use those machinations as opposed to just seeing the answer. I think that's a pretty valuable skill, and I, I think you see less of that you know, than you used to. So more of a testing a hypothesis type of mentality then? Yeah, testing a hypothesis, and, and just, you know, because you can spit out an answer, but, it, you know, if you don't know why, maybe there's a bug in your data, and I've seen people have bugs in the data, and they never catch it because they're not questioning it, right? So that, that's one, but also I think it's just helpful to think about the why and think about what you expect the answers to be, and and help, you know, even like a fourth down model, you know, I we spent a lot of time thinking about it before they were sort of really widely spread. And I'd say most of the time, probably 90, 95% of the time, I would be able to sort of have my gut would be correct with the model. 
But when it wasn't, that would be something I'd want to then think about, right? So why am I wrong? That makes me change the way I think about the game and you learn something from that. So I just think the, the critical thinking aspect and, and having that hypothesis, not just looking at the numbers, is, is a skill that people should you know, try to acquire. That, make, that makes sense. I mean, also the data, I guess we're talking about a historical perspective. Now that we have all this free data out there, like the NFL faster data that I'm using, goes back to 1999. So, you know, that's, that's going to limit. Good. That's better, though. It's, that's better. That's better. So it's, yeah, it's, it's going to limit some people. I mean, I've done my fair share. Uh, uh, thanks to Football Reference again for uh, scraping their data <laughs> off of their website to get back uh, to do some longer historical analysis but um well at the same time though do you think can there be anything on the flip side can the game has changed right old man uh, old, the old man talking to us the yeah. game has changed um a friend of the pod steven ruiz said the other day we're post-processing now like that doesn't matter for a quarterback play i mean he's being he's being over the top as you would be for you know running backs don't matter or something like that but is there a, is there also the ability that we through a larger lens are just missing something that's happening. They're going to be way behind the curve from something. If we're looking back too far as to what the historical example was through a different era. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always possible. And I think it, you know, part of being different or cutting edge is you have to deviate from what everyone else is doing. Right. So I, I would not want my uh, interpretation to be that, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. And I think it, it's better when teams have different strategies. That goes back to the diversity, right, from the beginning. If, if every team is doing the same thing, that's bad. If lots of teams are doing different things, I think you'll you'll find out more information. You know, is it possible there's a new trend that people are not picking up on? Absolutely. Uh, there probably is. And, I mean, I, I like, you know, Chip Kelly didn't work out, but I liked what he was when he came to the NFL. You know, he's got his sports science stuff, and he's thinking about nutrition, and he's thinking about training, and thinking about practice. And he wants to change the way all those things are happening. I thought that was a great thing. Um, he could have been on the cutting edge of a new, you know, era of football. It didn't turn out that it worked for, you know, maybe because he was wrong, maybe because of other reasons. But I do think you need to, you know, you can't expect to just do what people did throughout history to, you know, and then be the best unless you get really lucky and get Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, that's always a good strategy. Uh, get Patrick Mahomes when you can replicate that. Well, it does help. Uh, like hiring, uh, that's always a good thing. Like Ryan Poles, hey, we'll just you know we'll, we'll grab him from Kansas City and then plug him in, and and we'll see what happens in in Chicago. Okay, let's talk about specifics for some metrics here, because you know EPA is the thing. Uh, I, I get I get a little tilted when people talk about EPA being a team, quote unquote team stat. It seems to be one of the things to deflect or to discount it when you know all football stats are team stats, basically, right? Like it's not like yeah. a, a quarterback isn't isn't generating all the passing yards by himself or touchdowns or this, that, but yet going back in history in particular, when we're talking about this comparison or even the stat that you had used most of the times and that I use again, when I'm going back is more like your adjusted net yards per attempt, which not only does it have the ability to apply it to a larger and broader data set, but it's less opaque as far as how it's calculated. You know, it's 20 yards for a touchdown, you know, it's negative 45 for an interception, you know, it's, the total divided by the number of attempts plus sacks, you, you can kind of figure out exactly how to calculate that. How do you think about these two numbers against each other where, you know, yard, just in yards per attempt, it might undervalue, I guess, sacks in some situations, like negative yards for sacks are probably worse than like the, the equivalent positive yards going forward, things like that, versus this EPA per play, which takes down distance and all that sort of stuff into account. It's a good question. Yeah, there are, there are definitely pros and cons with both. I, I, 
I like using adjusted net yards per temp more because I want to be able to compare it throughout history. And so we don't have EPA throughout history. I think an area where EPA is extremely helpful is with running quarterbacks, or frankly, I guess almost any quarterback now because it incorporates running, you know, information and there's just more quarterback runs than there used to be. And that's an area where adjusted net yards per temp totally misses out. And I think looking at, again, just to learn about football, right? I think the average fan would be surprised to know how valuable quarterback runs can be. And when you look at a player's EPA, you know, a quarterback's EPA, most of it could be based off of four or five runs in a game and not the 35 passes. So EPA, you know, when I thought about developing quarterback models, which I did a long time ago to grade quarterbacks, you know, I always struggled with how to value quarterback running. And I, I still think it's, it's, it is hard, right? I don't think you can historically have a great way to, you know, it's going to be very subjective how you grade quarterback running. EPA sort of, I think it kind of answers the question, right? So I think that that is a huge plus for EPA. The negative would be, you know, again, like you said, it's opaque. It's not uh, easily accessible necessarily. It's not historically available. Um, but I think other than that, I, you know, EPA is great. And also for the most part, it's, it's pretty highly correlated with adjusted net yards per attempt. Uh, the other thing, you know, I do like including first down data. It, sometimes I'll do that in adjusted net yards per attempt. Usually, again, that's also pretty highly correlated with just traditional adjusted air temp. But, you know, those are the, the things you think about, right? And it also, you know, interceptions, not every interception is the same. You know, that's an area where I think EPA is pretty helpful. So uh, it's de if you have the time and the resources, it's definitely, you know, good to use both. But uh, I I probably still wind up using adjusted air temp more just for historical you know purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I looked into recently when it comes to EPA, which I think, is a potential negative when it comes to the running calculations is like how much of a delta and a value that one yard from the one yard line to getting into the end zone like the, the expected points that are added on that play for a running play which generally is a negative type of play when we're talking about a running back doing it something that could be a little bit overvalued can pump up some quarterbacks who end up getting a lot of these like one yard touchdowns versus some others who don't like the talent level on that is yeah there's a huge swing that's not proportionate to the sort yeah. of like you know good example was mike white uh, you know when i watched the jets vikings game uh, he had a negative epa and then the jets had a fourth and goal from the one and he he did a quarterback sneak and he didn't get it and that's a hugely negative epa and then they reviewed it and he got the touchdown and now all of a sudden his epa for the entire game was was positive so right you know a huge swing based off of a review of a quarterback sneak doesn't feel like it's super reflective of a quarterback's ability. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the more sample you can get on this stuff, uh, the better. Let's talk about the league a little bit here. Um, how, what, what, however you want to judge them, are there any teams out there, let's, talk, let's start with the positive first, that you think this team is either the way that they conduct themselves, the talent they have, the front office, the coaching, is kind of, you're a little bit higher on, let's say, whatever that means, than uh, what you perceive their either what their record is or how you perceive people to view them right now in the NFL. Yeah, that you know the the problem with that question, the leading question, is I don't even know how people. You're an know, attorney. You're an attorney, teams, right? right? So you well, know what, you how do how do people you could object? Teams? Yeah, you know, do people think the Vikings are good? You know, who, who no. knows this question? Well, Some that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're uh, Viking. <laughs> no one did, including Vikings fans, until they beat the Bills. And then, then they finally decided they could like show that they could come out of the woodwork. Okay, so let's. I mean, I'll, I'll say this: I, I think I might be a little bullish on Denver. How about that? 
Okay. I think I don't believe that's Russell a contrarian. Wilson's... That's a good contrarian opinion. I Everyone think... was upset. I did some power yeah. rankings the other day. And they came out 22nd or something like that. And everyone was upset about that being that too, was too high. high. Wow, too yeah. high. Yeah. I'd yeah. buy on 22nd. All right. I like to hear yeah. that. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, and I, well, obviously, I guess this is now more long term, but I think, you know, I, I would be optimistic. I would buy on Russell Wilson for 2023. And I think the, the infrastructure of the team is pretty good. The defense was great this year. And maybe that doesn't repeat, but, you know, maybe it's pretty close to that. So that seems like a team that's just having a really rough year and I, I would be more willing to give Russell Wilson the benefit of the doubt long term and the talent on the offense is actually not too bad and maybe to help the offensive line. The defense is great. So that, that might be a team I think teams are writing off a little too quickly. Okay. Actually that, that's a good way to frame it. Maybe like for the rest of this year slash next year, t- any, any other teams you're looking for who are going to, you know, I got to say things like surprise just to, throw, just to throw it into, into that sort of context, but yeah, be better than they have been at least. Yeah, you know, I'm not, you know, again, I don't know what people think of the 49ers, um, and I don't know what they think of Purdy. So, again, Brock Purdy, I mean, everyone hates Garoppolo so much that I say, I wish I loved anyone as much as a film analyst loves any 49ers quarterback not named Jimmy Garoppolo. I will say this. I think, the, in retrospect, the Bears beating the 49ers is, is one of the odder results of the 2022 season. And yeah. I think the 49ers, I mean, had Trey Lance been really good, um, and I, I don't know, maybe he still could be if we want to just say he's hurt. Um, they could be, you know, a really dominant Super Bowl team. I mean, they probably, they argue we already are. So like, imagine if the Trey Lance pick had worked out, how good the ceiling could be on the 49ers. I mean, they, they could have been, I guess the Eagles are already, you know, 12 and one and look pretty dominant, but I think they could probably have been better than that had, had the Lance pick worked out. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, there's a little bit of a monsoon type of thing going on week one, but Lance didn't look good, and then he got injured at the beginning of the next week. So the 49ers right now, uh, if you want to go into the old Super Bowl odds calculator, it's interesting. When Garoppolo went down, they went from plus 700 to plus 1,200. Now they're back up to 900, which puts them at exactly a 10% Super Bowl probability below the Bills. The Eagles, the Bills are number one because they're they're at least in the number one seat for now. The Chiefs and the Cowboys, but very close to the Cowboys. So they're right up there in, in the thick of things still, even with the assumption that maybe Garoppolo will be back in the playoffs, but not earlier than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think when you look at that team, they really are terrific, right? The defense is outstanding. The, the offense is, you know, outside of the quarterback, it's top-notch. The, you know, I think for the most part, people think the coaching is very good. So that does seem like a team that, you know, really could make some waves in the playoffs, but they are susceptible to a, you know, zero touchdown, three interception game from their quarterback at any point in the playoffs. Definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, I wrote a little bit about Brock Purdy this week that this last game, his his EPA per attempt under pressure, I think was 1.3. So it was like massive. And then he was negative from a clean pocket. So, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see for him. I'm still, I don't want to seem like a hater because of the whole Garoppolo thing, but let me say I'm a little skeptical. Mr. O'Revelin's going to come in and be that good so far this year. You have anyone I, else? I would be skeptical we... too. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't, I would not think on that. Um, you know, the, any other teams I'm kind of thinking about, you know, I, yeah. I guess, you know, again, another one I, you know, think about is what do people think of Miami, right? I think right now sort of 
it's probably turned a little too quickly would be my immediate well, response. Yeah, the, the offense has been solved is the new – is this week. This week it's – the because Tua has struggled two weeks in a row, so therefore they've figured it out a la how yeah, this, the Rams defense. one of these defense. short-term takes that won't hold up yeah. over time. But I, I think the general reaction of writing off a team with a ton of talent after two bad weeks is probably not so smart. And I was you know generally a pretty pro to a guy. I mean, he was, he was terrific in college. He had obviously you know some big games and big stages in college and and won a national championship and looked the part was a high draft pick. He did not play nearly as badly his first couple of years as people said he did. And you bring in you know some great talent at wide receiver and yeah and and I think the coaching changes helped as well. That seems like it could be a great offense. Now he he nobody was saying he was as good as his numbers earlier in the year, but you could take twenty percent off those numbers and still the Super Bowl championship offense. Yeah, yeah. He was one of those guys who fell in this bucket where I get a little frustrated because the critique will be he doesn't elevate an offense is something that I heard a lot. And it's like, well, I don't know. They're leading the league in efficiency. So I, it's kind of hard to say what that even means or what the consequences are of uh, of that. Um, I, I think if you're you know, 24 for 30 for 300 yards and three touchdowns, it's elevated enough. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what. It, well, that's like the counterfactual. It's like, okay, well, then if you put someone in there who could elevate the offense, they would have a billion points or something. Like, I don't, I don't quite understand how this works. But anyway, I've been doing that whole argument with Garoppolo for for, for way too long. All right, let, let, let's 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 do some let's do some hating over here. Is there anyone that you any fan bases you want to rile up that I can clip this video and then tag you on social media and, and, See, and put it out is, there? This is the abrasive, you know, young generation <laughs> I'm talking about. They they need to work on being more welcoming, right? Okay, so, okay. But this is, I'd go back to where do people rate teams in your, you know, I'll, I'll be the week, arbiter. I can you're, be the you're arbiter. Gonna, I'll be the you're arbiter. Gonna, of... You're going to tell me that people think the Titans are terrible and the Giants are terrible, yes. right? Um, yeah, Giants, yeah, the Giants had their moment of people over, overrating them severely, but yeah, the dream is, the dream is dead there. Somehow the Brian Dable magic dust that he was like sprinkling on the sideline is, has, has gone, has gone away. I mean, I think Kirk Cousins, so I will go back to Minnesota. I mean, I, I'm not sure what to make of what has been a pretty noticeable decline in his play. Yeah. And cause I think it is surprising, right? Given the, the talent around him. Well, in their record and everything, most people would, yeah. wouldn't expect that he's the the he is one of he is a problem, I guess, in this sort of scenario. And and I wonder, I mean, he's got I guess Thielen's not what he used to be, but he's he's perfectly capable as number two, and he may have has you know the best receiver in the NFL. You would think that their offense would be better, uh, and I'm not sure. I could kind of see it going a couple of ways with Cousins. I could see him having a, a great Super Bowl run because I do think his talent is still there. I mean, he, frankly, I think he's probably playing like a bottom 10 quarterback this year. Would you say, you know, independent of talent? And bottom talent. half, definitely, yeah. Right? And so I, I think statistically he might even be bottom half. So once you subtract mm-hmm. out Jefferson, um, I'll go bottom 10. And that's, you know, I don't, is that age-related decline or, or what is it? And so maybe he gets hot and has a great postseason and – everything, you know, the narrative's totally shifted. So I think it's interesting to watch. I, I'm always curious when a guy who is a little bit on the you know, cusp of are they getting, you know, over an age cliff, right? Not everybody ages like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Some people, or, you know, or Phil Burbage, right? Some people have the decline at 30, 31, 32. Is that what's happening with Cousins, or is he, you know, just having a slump, and he could get really hot, and all of a sudden, you know, they could be talking about Kirk Cousins, Super Bowl quarterback pretty soon. Probably not. Yeah. 
It's it's possible. I mean, again, I'll use as the 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 cold uh, assessment of the markets right now. The Vikings actually have the same Super Bowl odds at uh, let me see about four percent. 20, plus 2,500 as the Dolphins, even though the Dolphins have to go through the AFC and the Vikings have to go through the NFC and have, I guess they don't really have a window now at the number one seed, but at least they're going through the NFC. So that's interesting. They're, they're being, they're being uh, downrated at least. Anyone else? Anyone else? I, mean, I, I, I just pulled up numbers. Like Kirk Cousins ranks 19th in adjusted net yards per attempt this year with the best receiver in the NFL. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty surprising. bad. Um, pretty bad. You know, I do. Anyone else I want to criticize, or you know, I don't, I don't like the yeah, thing of, 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 of being mean to people, and I, I'm not even being mean to cousins. I'm just curious. I'm asking the question. Okay, let me, let me, okay, let me, let me find one that we can criticize. Um, okay, so here's actually this is kind of this is a tougher exercise than I think because every this is another interesting thing about power so rankings. How about I do it to you? I mean, what, what's going to happen okay. with Aaron Rodgers? Is he done? I don't think Aaron Rodgers is done. No, I mean, I guess I haven't seen the physical decline, so maybe I'm a little bit higher on him than some others. Although in this season, I did have this like, uh, I mean, he's 39 and having a huge decline. That seems like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe I'm falling prey to the old, uh, eye test here and seeing that he's, he looks like he can still, he doesn't look like, you know, a Peyton Manning circa 2015 type of situation. Um, he had this whole, disrupted play i guess you could call it from 2015 to 2019 when things weren't really working around so yeah maybe maybe there's there's something to the decline he i mean he's older than what some people might think was he 38 now um 39 yeah 30, 39 so yeah it's possible i guess i don't quite see the same although going to the season i was predicting that he and and brady were gonna we're gonna decline a bit so I don't know. I guess the problem is no one is high on anyone right now. When I when I put together these power rankings, everyone gets upset about a team being in the top twelve, and it's like there's no good teams other than maybe the top five or six teams. So let me let me let me think of one here. Well, let's go all the way up to the top because a lot of people are putting the Eagles. The, the, I'm being told that they should be the best team in the NFL. They're the best team, I think, by far by DVOA right now. Yet the betting markets still have the Bills and the Chiefs as being better. I still think the Chiefs are better. Maybe the Bills are better. Um, that would maybe be a team to think about because, again, it, it probably comes back to quarterback a little bit here and the confidence that we can have. Probably. No matter what. <laughs> okay, it does. Go, it does. So I was doing my thing. I was doing my, mm -hmm. you know, my pontificating thing here. You, you interrupted my, my pontification. Okay, it comes down to quarterback. Better? It comes down this, to quarterback. This is, this is why we need advanced analytics. <laughs> This is why, yeah. It comes down to quarterback. That's you know, it comes down to quarterback. Twenty years uh, of, of football analytics. Is, well, and schedule probably also. I mean, the Eagles have had the softest schedule in the NFL, and I think we'll continue to do so. So that probably has something to do with it, also. Yeah, but I, you know, I would say I guess I'd be bullish on the Eagles versus the Chiefs and Bills. So okay, I, so they're I mean, good. I like maybe that. Let's, let's put the Bills in a different category. Um, because yeah. for, the, for the Chiefs, right? I think it's a pretty. At least the way I think about it is pretty simple. All right, so Mahomes is, is the best, sure. But if it's the the Chiefs' offense is the best, second best, whatever, and the Eagles is what third, fourth, and then what about the defense? The Eagles have a top five defense, and the Chiefs' defense is you know average or worse. So that seems pretty clear to me, unless you significantly downweight defense, that the Chiefs are not as good as the Eagles, right? Mediocre defense great offense versus great offense and great defense. So that that's like an obvious you should be picking the Eagles. 
Okay. Well, let me say, because again, you could, they don't play each other, but you could be making some money right now in the good old betting markets. Because if you triangulate all their different uh, odds over well, the next people two... don't think they don't believe in Jalen Hurts. They, they, I mean, that's all it is. I don't well, think okay, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I think this is gonna be the big thing. This is gonna be the big thing. And you tell me whether this is a, uh, a poorly thought out way of viewing quarterback. So if we go through this season for the Eagles, again, their schedule, I think they were down pretty significantly to the Jaguars, maybe by 10, 14 points early in that when it rained a bunch, the Jaguars just completely tripped over themselves. The entire rest of the game fumbled everything away. It all went down the tubes. Um, the commanders end up beating them. So that's another game where a team actually had a, a decent bit of a lead on them. Uh, not, not really much of an issue there. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks they've, they've dominated. Um, but we are also talking about, you know, dominating the giants, the Titans, some other teams, which haven't been great. I guess the question, I think what most people point out to is when we get into the playoffs, you're facing another team that's going to have a better than average defense, a better than average offense. If you get into a situation where you are down, they, the opponent at least believes you're going to have to restrict what you do, maybe pass it a little bit more often. They know that's coming and they can continue to score. Can you put enough offensive pressure to come back in that situation? Yeah. It's like I mean, the Lamar Jackson thing. It's like the Lamar Jackson thing. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, it's a, it's a question that people will have to, I guess, ask until it's answered. Right. So, you know, you could, number one, that this may not ever happen. Right. I mean, the, the, right. the way football games go, the Eagles may not get down at all in the playoffs. And we just never, this never comes up. So uh, yeah, certainly if the Eagles are down 10 in the fourth quarter, you don't feel as good about the chances as if it's the chiefs. Absolutely. But that, that's just one, that's a pretty small area of the game. And so I, I would, I think, you know, Again, I think we're airing too much in that direction to say, uh, you know, number one, if you wanted to say the Eagles aren't going to the Super Bowl, sure, but, you know, taking the field over the Eagles is not really a fair fight. I'd say number two, people are more likely to, to think of the Mahomes situation than, you know, that's 20% of games, 10% of games where that happens. And in most games, it'll, the Eagles will either be winning the whole time or it'll be close. They won't have to deviate too much from their game script. And if they have to, there's a decent chance Hertz can still play well. So is there a chance that the Eagles get down and Hertz has to throw a bunch and he implodes? I think so. But I think the you know, that concern would be not as significant to me as the fact that they've got an incredible defense and the Chiefs defense is not incredible. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, also probably the playoffs last year, how ugly it was offensively against Tampa Bay probably might, might play into some people's thinking on that too. So let's go to the one team that you get clear-minded that you can you can speak about um as best as ever again it's hopefully some social media fodder we, we can get off of this one knowing that uh you're loved or hated i'm sure by jets fans depending upon what your opinion is of the team that particular week uh what do you think about the jets mike white the infrastructure here with salah and joe douglas um what, what, what's your overall I, yeah. feelings on, it, on the jets you know, right now i actually think the team's pretty good um, which I don't usually say, I agree. Which, is, which is also has been correct when I said I don't think they're good um, over yes. the last ten years. So they've suffered a lot of injuries, and I, you know, there's uh, as a fan of the Jets, it's hard not to wonder how good they could have been if they didn't have you know four different offensive linemen get hurt, if they didn't lose Brees Hall, you know, now Quinn Williams is hurt. The Jets could really have had, you know, maybe even a Super Bowl caliber roster. I mean, it seems great to say, putting aside quarterback. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I think people have gotten a little carried away with the credit for Joe Douglas because it's one season, which by the way, is a seven and six season as of recording. But I mean, there were, there were two terrible seasons that people say, Oh, well, you know, he was tearing down the roster, but I guess I don't know how much credit you get if, if all you do is tear down the roster, trade all the players for draft picks, then use a bunch of high draft picks to pick good players and go seven and six. That, that doesn't seem that hard to do. Um, I'll give him more credit for getting, you know, a player like Huff, who was a seventh round pick or an undrafted free agent and has now just been a tremendous situational pass rusher than, you know, hitting on Sauce Gardner, which doesn't seem, I mean, I, I'll give him credit for that. I guess, right? I mean, it, it, I've always struggled with how you grade GMs on, on players like that. You know, oh, yeah. The... I mean, if, if the Texans take Sauce, then they're probably taking Stingley, right? So, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I think about the, the Becton pick. He, he, he got a lot of credit for the Becton pick, which is crazy, right? Because it, it hasn't worked out. Yeah. But he got a lot of credit for it. And he also. Yeah, Tristan Wirth was after, I believe. And he took yeah. him over Tristan Wirth, so, which yeah. looks like a pretty bad decision. And it was a, it was a draft where the Jets desperately needed a lineman, specifically a tackle. There were four good tackles available. Two of them went before the pick, and then he took Beckton. And the guy after him was better. So I don't you know, understand how Douglas got a lot of credit for drafting Beckton, but he did. Uh, and then the next draft, and, and that whole draft was terrible. Uh, the next draft was Zach Wilson. So that did not work out too well so far. Um, so, yeah, I think Douglas has done a good job building the roster, but I also think it you know, take tearing down a roster, trading veterans for picks. He's done a good job with the trades. I mean, absolutely. He got a great ROI on Jamal Adams trade, great ROI on the Sam Darnold trade, but trading a bunch of players for draft picks, cutting a bunch of veterans, and then using a bunch of high draft picks to field a good young roster uh, and missing on quarterback just doesn't seem like something that's that, you know, how many standard deviations above average is that? That may not be zero, maybe zero. Um, but I think we have to see how he does. And ultimately, the roster is pretty good. I think he gets credit for that. Salah is another one where, you know, it's easy to point to the analytic misses, right? Sometimes he doesn't get fourth down decisions right. You know, maybe he doesn't do his timeouts right. But overall, he's done a good job with the team. I mean, you've got to give him credit for he, he brought together a you know, challenging group of young players, some maybe immature players. He, he coached them well. The team has bought in. You know, he made his receipts comment, right? And I think everyone skewered him, and he, you know, kind of looking smart for that. And he, I think he's done a good job as a coach. He's probably the best, you know, Jets coach in a few years, so or in a few coaching cycles. So uh, there are always going to be things you can criticize about a coach. Andy Reid, the thing people will criticize about him. Uh, but I think on the spectrum of where you'd want to be, Salah's done pretty good. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm a fan of Mike White. I thought he was pretty good last year. Uh, you know, I've, I have a soft spot for the lowly drafted or undrafted quarterbacks, and I think they get written off too quickly. I, you know, White has a good arm. He processes things well. He, you know, he has some athletic limitations, more mobility than arm strength. And, you know, he may not work out, but to, to write him off after six games is, is I think, also you know, writing someone off too quickly, which is what I think some people would do. He, very tough player, right? He got just brutalized in the Bills game, came back. I think he's, you know, smart, makes quick decisions, accurate. He's somebody I'd like to see more of, and uh, I'm optimistic. If I was a Jets fan, which I am, 
I'd at least be optimistic that he could turn into something. And the good thing is we've got four games to see, you know, how he does. If he stays healthy, we'll be able to see if he turns into something. Okay, so I, I don't think the, the offseason plans necessarily change based upon whether you make the playoffs. Let's say even a playoff win, I guess, is not is within the realm of, of possibility for sure for the team. Um, Jets this off- first round of the playoffs, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, offseason, though, talk about being able to extricate himself from Sam Darnold. It seems like that won't be as easy with Zach Wilson, despite the fact that we're talking about after two years, as opposed to three years. I mean, even someone like Baker Mayfield, there was basically no market for him, uh, which is a little bit shocking. Probably is a timing issue. Uh, there'll be no market for Zach Wilson. Yeah. There'll be no market for Zach Wilson. So then what is, what is the move in the off season? Cause you probably want to at least think about bringing in some sort of veteran competition. And then we have Wilson veteran competition and Mike white all hanging around I me. Mean, what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question, right? And I don't think, I mean, I, I'm generally, I guess, a little bearish on Zach Wilson, but I don't think you have to write him off. I, I don't think he's done. I think it, it would be unlikely if he turns it around, but, I mean, the, he's here, so you have to at least give him the chance. And obviously the, the people in the building know better than we do as to his work ethic and how he's progressing. And maybe he is going to be the third-year breakout quarterback. That sometimes happens. So I think you I would not want to just give up on him, but I certainly would not want to rely on him. And so probably not ideal to have just Mike White and and Zach Wilson for next year, unless I do think it matters a lot what happens the rest of the year for Mike White. More about his play than the Jets making the playoffs, but if he plays poorly, I think it's pretty obvious they have to bring in a veteran. If he plays well, you know, if you think about his salary being cheap, he's actually a free agent. But, you know, assuming he would stay there, you know, at a relatively cheap salary, it may be, you know, the best move is to keep him, build around him and see what happens as opposed to, you know, bringing in a Derek Carr or, you know, whoever. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I guess you probably shouldn't think about these things in terms of, like, mitigating the bottom completely falling out because – like what's the you know it's like what is the real benefit of trying to avoid being having four wins or having six wins or so or so or something like that? But I guess optically, like optically, even if White plays well the rest of the season, there's going to be some material chance that he could flame out next year, and then you're 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 struggling. You know, you're I don't know, you're getting like Teddy Bridgewater or someone to come in maybe. Well, I mean, I, I guess if if he plays well, I think you would just potentially run it back with Wilson and White. I mean, I think that's it. And then if he struggles, he struggles the same way. You know, Kirk Cousins is struggling this year, so anything is possible. But I, if you're the Jets, you, the the thing that they've got going for the team right now is a good roster outside of the quarterback position. And maybe you know, I know you said this before. Maybe the defense progresses next year, so that's open. But if you've got, you know, they've got some good running backs. I know we all think running backs are very important. They they've got Garrett. Well, Brees Hall's got some some actual like speed, so yeah, it, it does help to be able to get an explosive play every now and again. So, so we hope he's healthy and good for next year. Wilson looks like a terrific receiver. You know, Elijah Moore maybe. I actually think Corey Davis will probably be gone, but the you know you can you can build around that. They've got a couple of good tight ends. Hopefully, the offensive line is healthy next year. The offense that LaFleur has built is generally pretty good. So uh, there's reasons to think you don't need anything more than a Mike White to have a very good offense. So uh, I would be okay 
doing that, you know, is it a Super Bowl roster with Mike White? I mean, probably not. But I, I don't know. The Jets beat the Bills with Zach Wilson, and they, you know, could have beaten the Bills with Mike White getting hurt too. I mean, that they, you know, they played in Buffalo. Probably the biggest play of the game was Joe Flacco coming in for one play and fumbling. They, you know, they had a bad C.J. Mosley offsides penalty. That was a pretty close game. I think your adjusted scores had a, you know, even or you know, almost even in a, you know, so if the Jets can do that on the road in Buffalo, uh, they, they could get hot in the playoffs and do well. But I think people are never going to give somebody like Mike White the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm hearing is there's a window to 20, Super Bowl 2024, January 2024, Mike White, Super Bowl MVP. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I think they're going to get Beckham in the offseason, right? <laughs> right. possible. Yeah, we need we need hopefully he doesn't sign at the beginning of the offseason because I want to make sure I get the stories and the travels and everything. And then we're gonna we've also get Tom Brady. What's Tom Brady gonna be doing? Oh man, this is gonna be a fun offseason of potential moves of uh you know washed uh superstars. Uh anyway, Chase, thank you so much for joining me. Uh is there anything you want to plug? Anything going on uh in your world that, that you want to talk about? I think people should subscribe to your Substack. They should right. listen I to like your that. podcast. They, the, they should go the, to your money's YouTube. in the mail. Money's in the mail. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and people should root for the Jets. I think we need to send good vibes out there into the world. I agree. I agree. I'm trying to bring the Jets back because we lost them a bit, criticizing the Elijah Vera Tucker pick and some other things, and the Brees Hall pick. We lost them a bit, so I want to bring them back. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so what do you think? I know we're wrapping up. What do you think of the, the Brees Hall pick? Are you now yay or nay on it? Um, I mean, I'm I'm still a nay on it, but at least with Hall because of the explosive ability, which was confirmed a little bit by his athletic measurables and things like that. Hey, if you can generate an explosive play, I think that's probably more important in the running game than some people will give credit for. The problem is, obviously, you don't have a lot of consistency. Like, like Jonathan Taylor's kind of disappeared this year where they really relied on him last year, but some of that is injury based. Um, and he did basically win them the game, Jonathan Taylor against the Raiders for them when he, when he did come back. So if you're that type of player and that's again, Jonathan Taylor's similar profile, big dude who can run really, really fast. <laughs> if you're that type of player and you have the whatever the film guys are telling you, eh, I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit better with it. I remember we did a PFF mock draft for the 2020 draft, whatever draft Jonathan Taylor was. Yeah, it was 2020, right? Yeah. 2020 draft. And like no one would take running backs in this mock draft. <laughs> so in the third round for the Ravens, I took uh, Brees. I took uh, Jonathan Taylor because I thought, hey, if you have Jonathan Taylor and Lamar Jackson back there, That's like good. good luck, good luck uh, guarding that. But uh, so I, so I, I maybe I'm a little bit more running back friendly than some of the other guys there. Fair enough. All right, thank you, Chase, so much. Yeah, Get, thanks fo- for having me. Yeah, follow. Make sure you follow uh, Chase on twitter what's your uh twitter handle i don't have it off the top of my head at fbg chase at fbg chase uh good stuff there as always and like you said the man said subscribe to the Substack, so you have you have to do what you say or else you're officially out of the analytics club thanks so much chase thank you